It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, everybody. I hope that you're all doing well. On this week's episode, we'll take a dive into two scary stories. The first, centering around a night guard at a train station, and the strange tales that he has to tell. And the second, around a man finding a journal from 1528, with a list of natural disasters that have occurred throughout history. Without further ado, let's get into it, as we drift further into Mr. Creep's mind. I was the night guard at a railway station. These are my strange tales. Written by Brian Maycock. I have a habit of putting my glasses down and then having no idea where I left them. This morning I found them in the fridge when I went to put back the block of cheese that I had taken out to snack on during the night. I also realized that I had odd socks on and they were not just mismatched, one of them was inside out. If I was 30 years old, this would be called being absent-minded, but I am brushing 80, so other names might be used for my confused moments. Medical, ominous-sounding terms. But I would rather laugh about my socks and my glasses than dwell on these. As well as keeping my sense of humor intact, I think that it's important to keep busy at my age. I like to keep my home clean and tidy. I also like to listen to classical music and follow the news and current affairs on the radio. And now that I have my glasses and they've warmed up back to room temperature after their spell in the fridge, I have decided to make this record of these strange things that happened to me many years ago. My memories of this time are as sharp as a blade. I started work at the railway station in January 1959. I was employed as a security guard on the night shift. The station was in the southwest of England, in the heart of a city and thousands of people passed through it every day. I had read up on the station and the public library before I started my new job, and knew that it had been built in the 1890s. It was a vast space with guts of stone where the winter daylight streamed in between the steel ribs of the glass roof, and the sounds of conversations, of footsteps, announcements, engines and wheels on the track mingled and echoed. As day passed into night, the station became a different place. The crowds diminished, the shadows grew. That first January, it was bitterly cold and the uniform that I had been provided with felt far too thin as I set off on my nightly patrol. It was a Monday night and the final train of the day was due in at 11pm on platform 1, so I started there. The train pulled in as I reached the platform. It connected with a ferry service from Northern Europe, which docked on the east coast and this was the final stop of a long journey. The handful of passengers who had traveled all the way to the end of the route disembarked. Their hands were buried in their pockets as they walked away shivering in the cold. 
none of them gave me a second look. I might as well have been one of the luggage trolleys which were huddled together near the platform until they were needed again the next day. I watched the passengers leave and then carried on with my patrol. There would be no more commuter trains until 6am, so the station could be locked up for the night. I did a circuit to check that there were no members of the public left in the station. A couple of times so far that month, I had had to wake up a drunk who had fallen asleep on a bench and see them on their way, but most nights there were no stragglers, and there were none on that night so I went to the first of the two large entrances to the station and pulled down and locked its shutter. I gave the shutter a rattle for good luck and then headed to the other entrance, where I stood and waited until my watch showed that it was 10 minutes to midnight. The policeman on foot patrol was as punctual as the trains back in them days, and he strolled into view right on time. We chatted for a couple of minutes and then he continued on his way, satisfied that everything was in order, and then I pulled the other shutter down and locked it. The station was now closed to members of the public and I was alone. Apart from a restless bird or two clattering around in the eaves above, all was quiet, until the sound of the first freight train of the night filled the station. The engine had already slipped out of view by the time that I looked around, but carriage after carriage sped through my line of vision, and then it was gone. A half dozen or so of these industrial workhorses would pass through the station over the course of the night. They never stopped at the station. They were other people's responsibilities and that was fine by me. I could concentrate on getting warm. The security guard's office was a glorified cupboard close to the ticket office. I hurried inside and stood in front of the coal fire rubbing my hands together. My fingers tingled with sharp pains as the feeling came back into them, and then I added another piece of coal to the fire and moved closer to it, until it felt like the skin on my face was about to singe, and I had to step back. The thought of staying in that cozy space all night was tempting. But I was young and conscientious. I wanted to do a good job and earn my weekly wage. I also knew my predecessor had been fired after being found asleep in front of the fire by the station master when he had arrived early to begin his shift. Something that I had been told no doubt as a warning to keep me on my toes. Not that I could feel my toes due to the freezing temperature of the station on those winter nights as I left the comfort of the security guard's office to continue my patrol. The lost property office was the first stop. I double-checked its door was firmly locked and then shone the beam of my torch through its window. The desk was empty and I could see storage boxes piled high up behind it. In the rush of the day, a steady stream of bags, umbrellas, and gloves were mislaid. Some things would never be reclaimed and, after gathering dust, would eventually be sold off or thrown away. I would be told things which had been deliberately abandoned had found their way to the lost property office as well. There had been a revolver which had been used in a murder and locked in an anonymous looking box before the killer left it on a train, where the guard found it and handed it in, oblivious to the gruesome trail. There was also a severed hand in a suitcase, 
which had been discovered when the smell of decomposing flesh had started to drift out. I thought the story of the revolver might be true. I was convinced the severed hand incident was made up to joke with the new boy which I was at the time. I smiled to myself, lowered the torch and walked on and past the waiting rooms, where the passengers could sit in the day huddled behind newspapers and magazines before catching their trains. Then there was the cafe, with its selection of cakes, sandwiches, tea and coffee. There was nothing left out overnight but imagining the food made my stomach rumble, a sound that was amplified by the deserted station. Well, almost deserted. There were the birds nesting in the rafters that I had heard earlier, and I had seen a couple of rats scurrying across the station floor on previous shifts. And as I turned to begin a new leg of my circuit, I noticed movement on one of the tracks. I lifted my torch. The track ran into a tunnel and framed onto the tunnel's arch. A fox was staring back at me. Its eyes blazed with fierce life in the beam, and then it turned slowly away and trotted into the tunnel. I watched it go, feeling like I was the interloper. After this, the rest of the night passed slow and cold until another shift over. I was yawning as I left the station. Dawn was still a couple of hours away and my breath frosted in the darkness as I set off on the walk home. Tuesday's night shift seemed to come around far too soon. I hadn't yet settled into sleeping while during the day so I was yawning once more as I headed for the security guard's office and signed in. The last train was due in so I set off as usual towards platform 1. I hadn't got very far though when I noticed a man sitting on one of the benches. He was drinking from a bottle. From the way that he swayed from side to side, it wasn't his first sip of the night. I sighed and went over to tell him that he couldn't do that here. As I got closer, I saw that he wore a smart pinstriped suit and tie under his coat. I wondered if maybe he had lost his job and was drowning his sorrows. Or maybe if the pressure of his job had driven him to drink. Keeping my voice reasonable but firm, I asked him to leave. He gazed up at me blearily, mumbled something about the management that was peppered with obscenities, and dragged himself to his feet. I felt sorry for him as I watched him weave his way towards the door, but I had done my job, and I could hear the final train was arriving over at platform one. I headed that way and found myself being passed on either side by the commuters who had been on the train leaving the station. By the time that I got to the platform, the driver and the guard had finished for the day as well, and followed the weary travelers out. There was one person left on the platform now. A young woman. She was dressed smartly in a warm coat, and was glancing around as if she was looking for someone. The last train was empty and locked up, so if she had been expecting to meet one of its passengers, then she would be disappointed, I knew. And though she was very different to the drunk, she could not stay in the station either. Excuse me, I said in a gentle voice. There will be no more trains today. I'm sorry, but I need to ask you to leave. She looked at me, seeming startled as if she had just realized that I was there. 
She looked on the verge of tears. No, she said. Andrew promised me he would come back in time for my birthday. And it's my birthday today. He has to be here. He has to. I had no idea what to say. Whoever this Andrew was, his promise was not going to be kept. And she had to leave now. I couldn't just throw her out though. I was trying to think what to do when I heard the sound of glass breaking. I turned. The drunk was still in the station and swaying worse than ever, and his bottle was in pieces on the ground. I needed to go deal with him and then sweep the broken glass up. I sighed and turned back to the young woman to ask her again to leave, but she wasn't there. I scanned the platform, but there was no sign of her anywhere. I figured she must have given up waiting and decided to leave, and then I put her out of my mind. I had a drunk to deal with. He was swearing loudly now as well. I strode over there to tell him to get lost. After more swearing and fist waving, he staggered off. I was standing there shaking my head when the policeman came into view. He smiled when I explained what had happened and told me to not worry about it. I wouldn't be the one waking up with a hangover. And we chatted for a bit longer and then he headed off leaving me to do my final checks, lock the station up for the night, and go get warm. The first freight train of the night rumbled past, and I headed for the office, and its welcoming fire with a smile on my face. A smile that did not last. There was someone still in the station. They were standing near platform one, a lonely figure shrouded in the gloom. I turned the torch in their direction and saw that it was the young woman that I had spoken to earlier. She was looking out at the empty platform and her shoulders were shaking as she sobbed uncontrollably. Muttering under my breath, not understanding how I had missed her, I strode over to her. I must admit, my frustration got the better of me and there wasn't a trace of sympathy in my voice when I said firmly, You can't be here, the man you're waiting for isn't here and he isn't going to be coming here tonight. Her body grew still at my cold words. She turned slowly and looked at me. Her face was pale and streaked with tears and her eyes bloodshot. Abandoned, she whispered. He's abandoned me. As she spoke, her skin seemed to grow paler. I thought that I could see the dark lines of her veins beneath and then the outline of her bones, the line of her jaw, her cheeks and her eyes were now becoming dark openings, the flesh of them fading as I stared in mounting horror. She spoke again, her words seeping from a lipless mouth. He abandoned me, my love. She was no longer a woman now, no longer human. She was a thing of bone, a hideous skeletal apparition, and then the bones themselves started to fade. There was empty air where the finger bones had been, nothingness in the place of the ribs. The skull was lost into the darkness of the night. The only thing that was left was a small voice whispering, Abandoned, abandoned. And then there was silence. I was alone. I walked on steadily back to the security guard's office and closed the door. I built the fire up and stood inches from it, but I just couldn't get warm. I felt chilled through the marrow of my bones. 
the winter nights that followed were long and lonely. I was on edge, waiting for that thing to re-emerge from the darkness. But as spring turned into summer and the nights grew warmer and nothing strange occurred, I started to relax again. In early August, I was watching the passengers leave the final train when the guard waved me over. He was standing in a doorway towards the back of the train. I strolled over as he dragged a wooden box out of the train and onto the platform. It was narrow and about four feet long. One of the passengers left this in the luggage compartment, he told me. It can't stay on the train, so you'll need to take it. And then he disappeared back into the train, leaving me to deal with the box. I had the key to the lost property office on my chain, so I decided the best thing to do was take the box there. It would be someone else's responsibility in the morning then. There were no handles, so I bent my knees and lifted one end to test how heavy it was. Thankfully, it was light enough for me to drag it across the concourse to the lost property office without too much effort. I let myself in and I left it by the desk. Job done, I thought, and I locked the door behind me. The rest of the shift dragged along in its usual way and I was on my last circuit of the station before the station master was due. I wandered past the lost property office and glanced inside at the box. How could anyone leave that on a train was a mystery to me, but it wasn't my problem. I carried on my way and then stopped. I had heard a tapping sound. In the empty chamber that the station became at night, it had been clear, and it had come from inside the lost property office. I backtracked and peered through the window. I couldn't see anything wrong and was starting to wonder if it had been my imagination when the tapping had returned. It was coming from the box. My nerves began to tingle as the tapping grew louder. There was something in the box and whatever it was, it was restless. I took a deep breath, found the key, opened it up and went into the lost property office to see what it was. Though dawn was close, it was still gloomy in the lost property office. I clicked on my torch, turned the beam onto the box and reached down to see if I could open it. The top had a latch on it. I pushed the latch back and started to lift the lid. It creaked, and the tapping stopped. I paused. My heart was still beating quick and my mouth was dry. Gut instinct was telling me to close the lid and walk away, but it was too late. I could see movement through the small gap that I had made. Something was twisting and scraping, and reaching up. I watched in mounting horror as the top was pushed aside. The thing looking up at me with dark, questioning eyes was an aberration. Its pale, hairless skin was cracked and shriveled. Its hideously emaciated flesh clung to protruding bones. It might once have been the height of a grown man, but its damaged, grotesque body looked so diminished that it could fit into the constricted space of the box. I wanted to run and keep running, until I escaped this waking nightmare, but all the strength had been stolen from my limbs. I could feel sweat trickle ice cold down my face, but I could not wipe it away. I could barely breathe. As the thing shifted and writhed inside its box and stared at me, as its mouth opened and a hoarse whisper escaped, You, it said, you are not the one I paid to help me escape the mob and bring me to my new lair. 
Each word seemed to cause it pain and a shudder passed through its body before it gasped. Betrayed. He has betrayed me and given me over to a stranger. And then it rose. It sat and looked around at its surroundings. Given me to a stranger and left me in a strange place, it said. No matter, I will survive. I will hunt again and I will feed. As it hissed this last word, its dreadful gaze locked onto me once again. Its lips parted. Its razor-sharp smile was revealed. Adrenaline flooded through my body at the sight of this and I managed to break free from the paralysis which had held me in place. I staggered backwards away from the creature, which was crawling from the box, moving on all fours, its back arched, its fangs exposed. I crashed out of the door back onto the concourse. High above, the birds cried out, as if they could sense the evil that had emerged into the station, that was dragging its foul, wasted form out of the lost property office, and getting closer and closer. There was no way that I could escape. I was helpless. I was going to die gripped between its jaws, which were extending as I stared in terror at the creature. Once it held me, it would bite down and down until my blood ran a rich, obscene feast. I could only hope that I would pass out quick as my life was stolen from me. The burst of strength the adrenaline had given me was spent. I fell to my knees and I began to weep. The creature moved closer still. I could feel its fetid breath against my skin. I could see the desire in its dark eyes. Only then was that a moment of confusion that I saw. A flicker of fear. It was no longer looking at me. Its gaze was turning towards the roof where the first light of dawn was reaching down through the glass to touch its skin. A wisp of smoke rose from its back, from its neck. It hissed and began to claw at its skin, but the smoke was spreading over its arms and legs. Its face was the first one to burst into flames, dark tongues of fire which danced and spat sparks out. The creature began to scream as the flames traveled across its monstrous body, consuming it. Sprawled out on the ground, I watched as the flames stripped away skin and flesh and bone until there was nothing left that I could see. If there was ash, it was too fine for my eyes to make out. I slumped forwards and put my head in my hands. The creature had been destroyed. In the wake of this nerve-shredding encounter, the quiet routines of the night shift once more settled back into place. September was not memorable. October was dull, and I was mighty glad of this. And then November came. It was the first Friday of the month. I walked to work in the darkness under storm clouds that threatened but did not break. The street outside was quiet. There were a few passers-by and a man laying out pieces of cardboard on the pavement near one of the entrances. I had seen him every night for a week as I had arrived for my shaft. When I locked up later, he was still there, huddled inside the shelter that he had made of cardboard and asleep. I had asked the policeman about the man. He had shrugged and said that there was nothing to be done unless the man was causing a nuisance. 
so I ignored the person sleeping outside the station and I got on with my job. That night was no different. I secured the shutters and walked the route that I always did, with welcome breaks in front of the coal fire. Shut away inside the station, it was easy to forget about the world outside, even the storm clouds, until I heard the sound of rain landing on the glass roof. It was gentle at first, a patter, but then the rain began to fall heavier and heavier. The storm had finally broken. The sound of the rain striking the glass grew. It filled the station in a salt of noise. The roof kept the rain at bay though. I was dry and safe. Unlike anyone who was caught out in the rain, I thought, they would be soaked to the skin and cold and helpless, and their shelter of cardboard would be destroyed. I frowned. I told myself that the man outside the station was not my problem that I couldn't break the rules for him. But all around me, the tumultuous sound of the rain continued to grow more violent. I swore to myself as I made a decision. I couldn't leave him out there. I went over to the entrance near where he had been sleeping, unlocked the shutter and pulled it halfway up, just enough for me to lean out. Freezing cold rain struck me, making me screw up my eyes as I tried to see if the man was still there. He was, curled up into a ball and pressed back tight against the outer wall of the station, trying to protect himself from the cloudburst. Hey, I called out, in here. I wasn't sure that he could hear me over the sound of the rain, but then he looked up at me. I waved an arm, telling him to come inside. He half crawled, half stumbled towards me and under the shutter. Almost blinded now by the rain, I pulled the shutter down, locked it, and then gasped in relief. Even though I had not been exposed to the full force of the rain, I was wet through. The rain had gone through my uniform and into my boots. That was nothing, I thought, compared to the man who had made it inside. He lay on his side shaking with what I assumed was as much shock as cold. His skin where I could see it under these sodden rags he wore was drained of all color. I knew that he needed to get warm as soon as possible. There's a fire, I told him, in my office. He mumbled something and tried to move his head, but he did not even seem capable of getting to his feet. Not unless I helped him. I grabbed an arm and muttering encouragement got him up off the floor. He would have been too heavy for me to carry even if he had not been made heavier by the rain in his clothes, but I could prop him up and lead him as he managed to walk. It felt like it took an age, but finally we reached the office and the fire. Using one hand, I moved a chair closer to the fire and then maneuvered him into the chair. I added more coal to the fire and then stood back, panting with the effort. The floor around the chair where he sat was already covered in a pool of water which had dripped off the man, and his head hung down over his chest. But I could see a little bit of color coming back into his cheeks. He coughed and rubbed his face, and then looked up at me, smiled weakly, and said, Thank you. I think you saved my life. I grinned, feeling cold and wet but good about myself. 
I figured I would leave the man to dry off and get some rest and then he could leave in a few hours. The station master would never know that I had broken the rules and everything would be fine. I shook myself to try and get a bit more rain off myself and then went to continue my patrol. It was time to get back to the routine. The sound of the rain had been lessened somewhat inside the office, but back out in the concourse, it was just as loud. Surely it had to end soon. I thought as I squelched my way past the lost property office in the cafe and on, round the platforms. The rain continued undiminished though. I began to wonder if the roof would start to leak or if the storm would cause other problems. I wasn't a religious person, but my parents had taken me to services when I was a child and one of the stories I had heard about a great flood came back to me as I looked around the station. And then I noticed movement in a tunnel and directed my torch beam that way. I saw a fox trotting out. It carried a cub in its mouth. The cub wriggled but looked healthy enough and I wondered where the fox was taking it. With a nimble grace, the fox jumped up onto the platform and placed the cub down. And then it descended back onto the tracks and ran into the tunnel. To return a couple of minutes later with another cub. The second cub deposited on the platform, the fox encouraged both its young to walk across the station. Watching them slip away into the darkness as the rain beat down viciously, my imagination flared. I started to feel even colder. Thoughts of floods, of apocalypses, filled my mind. I looked back at the tunnel. There was something else moving in there. I shone the torch beam back towards the tunnel but could not make out what I had seen. I moved closer and I peered down the tracks. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up. There were dozens of rats scurrying out of the tunnel and along the tracks. They were gathered together in a tight, fast-moving line of gray bodies that seemed to sparkle in places as my torch reflected off their eyes. The line grew as more and more rats appeared all rushing forward. Soon there were hundreds, and I could no longer see the tracks under the mass of rats. I could, though, see water beginning to rush through in the wake of the rats, a filthy tide which began to engulf the first of the rats that were in its path. The other rats must have understood what was happening, as they had known to flee in the first place because they started to climb up the sides and onto the platform. Close to where I stood. Too close. I began to back away. Behind them, the flood was rising. The bodies of rats were being swept along. But there were so many more that had escaped. Hundreds felt like it had become thousands as the rats ran towards me. I turned to sprint away, but as I did, my ankle twisted and I fell. I threw my hands out to break my fall, and a second later I was down and the rats were on me. I could feel their claws scraping at my skin. I saw tails flickering as they ran across my face. I wanted to cry out in fear but clamped my teeth shut to try and keep them out of my mouth. I lashed out with my hands to try to get them off me but there were too many, and they were starting to bite, piercing my skin. I felt blood running down my face. The rats bit and tore and I lost any semblance of control. I began to scream at them to stop. 
needle-sharp teeth that cut into my lips and tongue. I screamed on, crazed and terrified at the heart of the maelstrom of blood-crazed rats. Everything started to go dark and then I felt like I was moving, falling into oblivion, I thought. A merciful release from the darkness that had descended on me. But I realized that I was not falling. I was moving at speed along the ground. It felt like I was being dragged by my collar. I managed to open my eyes. There were still rats on me, but I could see the roof through gaps in their flailing bodies. And then the roof disappeared and it was replaced by a small ceiling. There was a fire burning and I was back in the office. And a hand was pulling rats from me and throwing them away. One tried to leap back onto me, but was met by the sole of a boot. It crashed backwards and then scurried away, through a door that was slammed shut. I looked up and saw a bedraggled face grinning back at me. Um, just a few more of the devils to get off you. The man that I had helped out of the storm said and plucked another rat off me. I lay there for a while after this, trying to catch my breath. It felt like every part of me hurt. My uniform was almost torn to shreds as well thanks to the rats. I was looking at it, wondering feverishly how I would explain the state of my uniform to the station master, and if I would have to pay for the damage, when the man smiled again and said, You look worse than me. I looked at his ragged jacket and trousers and I burst out laughing. I kept laughing uncontrollably for a long time. Still feeling shaky but back in control of my emotions, I got to my feet and went out to see what state that the station was in. To my relief, the rain had stopped and the plague of rats had gone. The tracks where they had flooded were still slick with rain and the corpses of drowned rats. I became aware the man was standing next to me, looking down onto the tracks as well. Even though my hand was stinging with pain, I held it out to shake. Thank you, I said, my voice breaking. At the end of my shift, I was sent to the hospital to have my wounds patched up. If I didn't work, I didn't get paid, so I went in as usual the next night. The station had been cleared of any signs of the flood. It looked in a lot better shape than me as I dragged my injured body through another shaft. Christmas arrived soon enough after this and was notable only for an increase in the number of sleepy drunks that I needed to escort out of the station before I locked up. The new year and the weeks that followed passed sedately enough and before I knew it, it was almost spring. One night it was around 3am and I was patrolling when a freight train swept into view. The engine rushed past and the carriages clattered along. I had seen hundreds of freight trains over the time that I had worked at the station, and in their own way, they had become a part of the background. And I thought that this one was just the same. It was another freight train on its way to a destination that I would never know, until I heard the high-pitched sound coming from its wheels. It was a sudden screeching noise and then seconds later, chaos broke out. The screeching became a metallic scream and one of the carriages came off the tracks. It tilted and rolled, still traveling at speed. I stood there, transfixed as the carriage twisted and crashed and finally ground to a halt. Even though the cab was a long way ahead and out of sight to me, 
I imagine the driver of the freight train would have known something serious had happened. They must, I figured, have slammed the brakes on and should be able to alert the authorities. Left alone in the immediate aftermath of the accident, I surveyed the damage. I had no idea what the carriage was carrying and nothing had spilled out. There were no windows, and there never were, but there was a single metal door in the side. I didn't think there would be anybody inside, but I didn't want to risk even a single life on an assumption, and decided to try and check inside the carriage before phoning for help myself. This mess would need clearing in the next few hours or else the commuter trains would not run on time. Thinking this, I pulled on the door. It was buckled and stuck firm despite me putting all my strength into my efforts. I cursed and was about to give up trying altogether and go summon help when I thought that I heard movement inside the carriage. Shuffling and scraping sounds. Hey, I cried out. Is there someone in there? I put my ear against the door to try and hear better but there was no reply. There was definitely something inside though. I knew that sometimes the freight trains carried livestock and wondered if it was cattle that I could hear, but I wasn't sure. I hammered on the door with my fist. Hey, I tried again. Hey. But mine was still the only voice. I tried one last pull on the door and this time it moved. Just a couple of inches and then nothing more. I peered through the crack to try and see, and I could make out dark shapes writhing inside. Whether it was a man or beast, I did not know. I raised my torch and shone it through the gap. It illuminated a pair of eyes, human eyes, and then I saw hands reaching out towards my light, bodies moving. I swore in shock. There were people in there. I redoubled my efforts to open the door. The people trapped inside must have understood someone was trying to free them, and I heard hands slamming against the other side of the door. The fingers appeared in the gap as well, gripping the edge of the metal. I struggled on and the sounds inside grew more frantic. The banging sounds spread the length of the carriage. My mind raced as I realized that there must be dozens of people cramped in there. I didn't have time to wonder why. I had to get them out. But no matter how hard I tried, the door would not move any further. Listen, I called out. I'll go and phone the police. They'll know what to do. I waited for a moment for an acknowledgement from inside that I had been understood. I didn't want them to think that I was abandoning them to their terrifying fate but no one said anything. No one had spoken at all, in fact, which was strange. Even if they hadn't understood English, surely I would have heard voices. I stood there for a moment perplexed, and then I told myself that I needed to get a move on because these sounds of metal being struck were getting louder and louder, and now the carriage was shaking under the attack. The door was shaking violently as well, and then it cracked open, and they began to clamor out. In the gloom, they looked like ordinary men, but as they staggered into the open, I had the terrifying feeling that something was very wrong. It was the way that they were moving, slowly, seeming unsteady on their feet, the way they swayed, their arms held up in front of them, 
and drifting towards me the guttural groan which came from their lips. I had to see clearly I had to understand. I lifted the torch and pointed the beam into their midst. Fear slammed into me. Their faces shone with rage, with primal anger. Drool hung from their chins. Their skin was gray and rotted away in places to reveal the flesh beneath. Their clothes were torn and soiled. I gagged as the stench of them reached me. They had been men once like me, but now they were what remains when the humanity has been stripped away. This is what I believed as they shuffled towards me. I realized their eyes were being drawn to the torch beam and I threw it away from me. The torch clattered to the ground and their heads turned at the sound. They paused. If the flesh of their minds was as ravaged as their skin, they had stopped for a moment because they were trying to understand what they had heard, which meant that I had a few seconds grace, a few moments to try and escape. I span around. I was dizzy, nauseous, and on the tipping point between sanity and mindless terror, but somehow I managed to put one foot in front of the other, almost tripping over myself, but I did it. I ran, wanting only to get away and not daring to look back. I imagined them instead shuffling forwards, their dark eyes all locked onto me, and the little strength that I had in my legs drained away. I stumbled, almost fell, but managed to regain my balance and careened on. I could hear them groaning behind me like the rumble of a distant storm. I was gasping desperately trying to get air into my lungs. My chest burned, my vision blurred with sweat and tears. I staggered on. The hideous groans grew louder as the storm came closer. I looked around, desperately searching for somewhere to hide. The cafe was the closest. I had to go for it. I sprinted to the door, scrambled to get the keys out of my pocket, almost dropping them and then struggled to get the key to the cafe door into the lock. Finally, it went in and the lock turned. I hurried into the cramped space, locked the door behind me, and then crouched on the ground. And I thought, maybe they did not know that I had come into the cafe. Maybe they would walk right past me. These were the slenderest of odds, but it was all that I had. And clinging on to the faint hope, I tried to make myself as small as possible and as quiet as I could. I breathed in, clamped my mouth shut. My heartbeat pulsed in my ears. The pressure was building inside me to breathe out. It was agonizing. And it might have all been in vain if they had seen where I had gone or heard my clumsy struggles with the key. I finally had to release the breath and begin to steal regular shallow breaths and then I chanced to glance up. I could just about see out of the cafe's window, but there was nothing visible there, just the darkness. I listened, and there they were, just outside, groaning and shuffling, moving past the window now. I could see them, and I could make out their ragged shapes, a nightmare procession. I closed my eyes. I couldn't look anymore. Hey, if I can't see them, they can't see me. I told myself this silently, feeling like a child who knows that there's a monster waiting in the room. 
and the only way to survive is to hide under the covers with your eyes closed until dawn. I told myself again, moving my mouth but not speaking. If I can't see them, they can't see me. If I can't see them, they can't see me. There was, though, no escaping that terrible sound emanating from their throats. The groan, the rumble, on and on. They were a few feet away, on the other side of a brick wall, a pane of glass, a door. Such flimsy things. I hugged my knees to my chest and began to rock back and forwards. I thought about the people that I loved, about all the things that I wanted to do with my life. I would never see my parents again, my fiancé. I would never go to New York and peer up at a skyscraper. I would never hold my child in my arms. All of those things would be as nothing if they discovered me in my hiding place. I managed to still myself, sat unmoving and waited for fate to decide what to do with me. Time passed, and reality was likely only a minute or two, but time was slowed so much that it felt like an age, and I thought the sound of the groaning was a little fainter. I concentrated, trying to shut out my fears and focus only on the sound of them. Yes, I was sure of it. They were moving away from my hiding place. I wiped away the fat beads of sweat that were running down my face and grinned maniacally. Now I just needed to make it to one of the entrances, open this shutter and make good my escape. Which one though? To try and see which way was the best, I stood to get a better view out of the window. I couldn't see a thing. I moved my face closer to the glass, but it still was nothing. I exhaled in frustration. My breath misted the pain, and a hand slammed against the glass. A face peered in at me. The flesh around its bloodshot eyes had rotted away, and where its nose should have been, there was a dark cavity. The stump of a tongue flickered inside its mouth, as it looked like it was trying to speak but all I heard was an inhuman groan. I flinched and I moved away from the window, but too late, far too late. I could see more of them approaching the window, crowding around their grotesque kin. Spittle from their open mouths smeared the glass and more hands reached out, striking the glass. I knew that it would give under the force of the blow soon and that I had nowhere to go, no escape. I backed against a far wall and stared death in the face. Hands slammed and slammed against the window, and I saw rather than heard the first crack appear. It was a slim fissure that spread, and then fragments of glass began to shower down, and a hand broke through, reaching in up to the elbow. Fingers grasped at the air, reaching out for me. I could only watch transfixed, as more of the window broke and the first of them stepped into the cafe. Broken glass decorated its corrupted skin. Its head turned slowly, as if it was taken in the scene. 
The counter where commuters were served in the day, the till, the chalkboard where the prices were written out, and me cowering and shaking. It took a step forward. Behind it, more bodies were breaking through. All of them were staring at me, all reaching out for me. Their teeth were exposed and drool was running down their chins. And a single word was being formed in their mouths. A repeated, distorted chant. Flesh, they growled. Flesh. A fresh wave of terror passed through me because I knew now that they wanted to devour me. I began to scream and still they groaned. Flesh. There was another sound as well, distant shouting, but I did not know who from. I could not think. I was about to be overwhelmed. And then a sharp and sudden noise cut through all the rest. The things paused their attack on me. Their faces turned to look in the direction that the noise had come from. A second noise louder, sharper came as they did, and something struck the head of one of them. It toppled forward. A third and fourth noise filled the air and two more of them fell. The one nearest to me cried out in rage and turned back to me, its teeth about to bite. A new noise came, the retort of a shot. Red splattered out from the thing's head. It fell forwards onto me. My legs gave way and I collapsed with the thing lying over me. I now know that this saved my life. There was a flurry of more sharp, cracking noises and then silence. I lay there trying to breathe, my mind racing as I tried to understand what had happened. And then I heard voices, words being shouted. All escape test subjects are neutralized, someone yelled. Check them, make sure, another voice cried out, and moments later the body that covered me was dragged away, and I found myself looking up into the face of a young man. He was wearing a beret with a metal insignia on it and a khaki uniform. He frowned and then looked over his shoulder and shouted, Sir, I've found a civilian, he's alive. I had survived. In the years that followed, I married and went on a honeymoon to New York, and I looked up in awe at the buildings which soared around me. Two years after the wedding, our first child was born, and I held him in my arms and cried. I had a new job by then. I was working in an office and when I passed through the railway station, I was just one more commuter on a busy, bright day. I looked around though as I waited for my train, and a shiver would pass through me as I remembered the terrors that the night had brought. Today's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. Whether you're trying to save money, eat better, or stress less, HelloFresh is here to help you do all three. Say hello to your most delicious year yet with fresh ingredients and chef-crafted recipes at a price that you'll like delivered right to your door. No more staring blankly in the fridge wondering what to make for dinner. Give HelloFresh a try and dig into their biggest menu yet, with over 45 recipes to choose from each week. I just had the mushroom and herb at Shepherd's Pie, 
topped with white cheddar mashed potatoes and it was absolutely delicious. I wish that I could have it for dinner again tonight. To get started, go to HelloFresh.com slash MrCreepsFree and use code MrCreepsFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while the subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MrCreepsFree with code MrCreepsFree. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. I found a paper from 1528 with a list of dates for anomalous events. It goes to 2029. Written by South Park is Cool. I found it while replacing some floorboards in my bedroom. It was a metal case that had become rusted over who knows how long. I opened it up expecting to find some old books, an old map or whatever. What I found instead were three sheets of paper. Each of them were yellow, clearly well worn out by time. The year 1528 was written on the bottom right corner of each of them, which made a ton of sense. And two of the three pages were filled with writing in some language that I wasn't fluent in. The third page, however, had writing that I could understand. It was a list of calendar dates with names beside them. The earliest one was January 16, 1529, with the name Kingston written beside it. There were dozens of these calendar dates and names on the page, two rows of them side by side. I flipped the page over to find there were just as many calendar dates on that side as well. They too were listed in two rows. The front side of the page had dates going up to March 16, 1765. The backside had dates going up to January 1st, 2029. I was curious as to who these were for. It looked like a randomized list. Whoever wrote these wrote them for a reason, but what was it? The closest day to the present day was April 29th, 2023, which at the time I read it on the paper was the next day. I didn't think anything of it. It looked totally arbitrary to me. What were the surnames all about? I set the pages back into the box and then I went on with my business. The next day, or more specifically earlier today, I was sweeping my kitchen while letting some music play on the TV. As I went on with cleaning, the song that was playing slowed down. At first, I thought that it was a glitch. There was no version of that song that suddenly slowed down like that halfway through. The song got abnormally slower and slower until it sounded like animalistic screeching. I turned my attention to the TV. The screech-like noises gave me chills, so I changed the channel to a different music channel, but the same screeching was playing on that one too. I texted my friend Ashley, but she told me that they weren't hearing any screeching. It's just SZA. I turned the TV off. In the absence of the TV's noise, I heard an ominous hum. Sounded like it was coming from outside. I walked up to the window, but it was too foggy to see anything. As I pondered the source of the noise, a crackling noise came from behind me. I looked back and saw that my TV screen was cracked. Right in the middle of all the cracks was something that confused me. Teeth. 
there were regular human-like teeth sticking out of the screen. I heard something shatter behind me. I turned around and saw the ceiling light coverage shattered all over the floor. One of the pieces had a similar set of teeth growing out of it, with veins growing inside the glass, which appeared to be melting. What on green earth is happening? I whispered to myself. I then heard what sounded like the shattering of the mirror in the bathroom. I was already weirded out by what I had seen so far. I didn't need to use the bathroom so I wasn't going in there. There was no way that I wasn't going to talk to anybody about this. I took a picture of the teeth and then sent it to my friend. A minute later, he responded to me with a string of messages. The same thing is happening to me. Yeah, they're everywhere. I was just bitten by a shard of a kitchen plate. I'm bleeding right now. They bite? Once that was implied, I went cold. I sweeped up the shards of glass and dumped them in the trash bin. One of the plates in the cupboard made a sound. Not seeing this stuff happening was unnerving. I opened the cupboard and took the plate. As I set it down on the counter, I took a look at the site. The plate was shattered, with one of the pieces, of course, being adorned with teeth. This time, red veins were protruding from the piece as the piece melted. Maybe melted isn't the right term. It was more like it had changed material, if that makes sense. The roar of a helicopter went right over the house. After it passed, there was a knock at the door followed by a woman's voice. Please answer the door, this is an urgent matter. So I answered the door. A woman in a suit stood on my doorstep holding an FBI badge. A scientific division of the FBI has detected a brash anomaly within this town, and so we will be closing it off, she said with urgency. You cannot leave the town without special permission. You will be notified face to face when the quarantine has been lifted. So this is about the teeth, I said. We understand the teeth are concerning and we'll be doing whatever we can to stop them from growing, she said. I'll definitely be keeping up with the news, I said. We're going to be keeping this investigation along with the anomaly under seal until we've determined it's appropriate to release information about them to the public, she said. Have a good day. She walked away into the fog. I shut the door thinking about the fact that the government was watching this. A slight pit formed in my stomach as it occurred to me that this situation was so special that the FBI had to cover it up for a while. Most people wouldn't know about this event for years, considering the FBI only releases information when there's a public interest group or an FOIA request remanded by the Justice Department. Where does this anomaly even come from? As I thought to myself, the bag covering the inside of the trash bin began moving until there was this tiny little rippling noise, and then I saw movement in the corner of my eye. It was the plate shard crawling by the sink. Its teeth were moving in a biting motion. A pit formed in my stomach. I reached into the cupboard for a cup to place in the thing like it was a bug. But every single cup had that freaky mouth on it. One of the cups happened to shatter as I was looking. I managed to sweep all that stuff into the garbage and I threw it all outside. I threw the TV outside as well. The tickling that I felt in the palm of my hand as I carried the TV by its sides 
didn't make me feel any better. Back inside, I put a cleaner pair of shoes on just in case I would accidentally step on one of those mouth things while walking between rooms. Luckily, my phone was still working and it didn't have a mouth. My friend sent me a photo of the inside of the back of his TV. Veins had wrapped around everything, and the batteries were bloated. I felt like puking. All of a sudden, everything was turning into a living thing. I took a hammer outside and smashed my TV a dozen times. Purple blood began dripping out of the cracks. I went back inside, not planning on even looking at that TV again. I sat on my couch, looking around to make sure that no mutant creatures were crawling around in at least the living room. I texted Ashley about the thing going on in town. She lived only one town over, so she wouldn't have been caught up in this or informed at all. After I hit send, my message wouldn't go through. It kept giving me an error message. As I grew annoyed with the error, I recalled the sheet of paper with the dates. It couldn't be. Was it really hinting at what was happening today? I fished the paper out and looked at the date again. April 29th, 2023. My name. Although it was happening across town but I guess I wasn't supposed to be the main victim. I decided to go through each of the dates and names to see if the paper was legit. Many of the calendar dates had common names beside them. I typed the first one into Google to see which event it referred to. All that came up were official websites for various cities named Kingston. Advanced search parameters didn't help yield anything either. Kingston was such a common name, so of course, nothing was going to come up. The five up the list only gave me the same lack of information, so was it a coincidence? I looked at each of the surnames, searching for a name that was familiar to me, but one name stumped me. It wasn't a person's name, it was the Paris Catacombs. Just those two words with the date of September 16th, 1788 written beside them. The thing is, the Paris catacombs weren't named the catacombs until 1786, so the paper that it was written on had to have been written around then rather than in 1529. At first, nothing came up about the Paris catacombs on that date. There weren't even any legends from 1778 in general. I decided to put the search terms in quotation marks, but nothing came up. I put a website-specific search parameter beside it in the search bar, but nothing. I put that search query in quotation marks. I found something at the very least. It was a post titled, Legends of the Paris Catacombs. The initial post asked for lesser-known legends from the catacombs. It seemed far-fetched since legends always seemed to trend to get overblown, but one of the comments suggested something else. My great-grandparents lived in France. They had a story that had been passed on for a couple of centuries that I've been told repeatedly throughout my whole life so far. Apparently, my grandpa's great-grandmother stumbled upon the catacombs and saw a yellow mist that moved on its own. She heard noises that she had never heard before coming from deep inside the grave, and things that she couldn't describe poked out of the mist. I always thought that something like that would have made the news, but 
Apparently nobody talked about it aside from her and two others, according to my grandpa. After a few dozen more empty searches, both with and without quotation marks, I came across one dated December 15, 1900. It was named Flannan. Upon googling it, I came across an event that happened on the date in which three lighthouse keepers disappeared off the coast of Scotland. Their disappearance remains a mystery to this day, apparently. There are lots of articles about this. They're interesting. It turns out the cause really did seem unknown. Did it really just fly under the radar? Did some creepy thing just happen and nobody knew about it? Someone could have died and nobody would have ever been able to find them again, and they wouldn't know why. The person who disappeared had to have known why. They had experienced it firsthand. If they weren't dead but trapped, nobody would know. I felt cold thinking about it, so I moved on to the next familiar surname. Looking up Rue Mast in 1915 brought up images of a rundown town in Ohio. The origin of the house was unknown, but over the years it was subjected to easily disprovable legends and accusations of paranormal activity. Between the 1850s and the 1910s, the property was owned by the Rue family. That was the time that most of the paranormal stuff was alleged to have occurred. I couldn't find anything about what supposedly happened there on March 10th, 1915. In fact, there was a general lack of verifiable information about anything that went on there. When looking up November 24th, 1974, Ackley Paranormal yielded results about a court case. One involving a house in New York that was ruled legally haunted by the New York Supreme Court back in 1991. The owner of the house that had a reputation of being haunted by ghosts had to admit that such a thing when selling the house. I couldn't find anything about what supposedly happened on November 24th, 1974. I emailed both the owners and the previous owners of the house, asking them if they knew what happened at the house on that day. One of them, I'm not going to say who for privacy, got back to me. This is what their message read. Is this the day you randomly selected? How did you get any clue that something happened then? I'm checking for a hoax, I responded. A hoax? Who told you? I guess word always gets out somehow. I'm not going to say a thing about what happened. It's too discomforting and I would sound insane. They replied. It was interesting there would be something they didn't want to mention out of fear of sounding insane, since it was mentioned that ghosts casually interacted with those living in the house on a regular basis, especially during the 70s. The following calendar dates yielded the same type of thing, some with no event popping up in any search results, others in which an event that happened on their respective date did come up. Here are some dates that stood out to me for some odd reason. October 13th, 1986, Queen Anne. March 17th, 1995, East Shore. June 3rd, 2002, Bower. March 17th, 2005, Monte Vista. March 23rd, 2007, Ken. October 8th, 2008, Welland. November 11th, 2011, Morris. March 5th, 2014, Malay. 
October 4th, 2016, Grove. July 27th, 2022, Matthews in Livingston. And then that last one, January 1st, 2029, Alt Smith. I'm guessing the lack of room on the page was the reason that it was the last one written. But if predating all those events was important, wouldn't there be another page? I mean, if it all happened to fit entirely on one page, that would be a nice coincidence. Either way, something was going to happen to an Alt Smith on the first day of 2029. My phone is making an unsettling erratic buzzing noise. I'm going to post this right now and then I'm going to figure out this anomaly. There's an absurd anomaly occupying my hometown. The FBI is covering it up until they've determined it's appropriate to release information about the anomaly and their investigation of it to the public. We can't access any social media or texting applications, but we can still use search engines. They're everywhere. Cups, plates, screens, any new plastic or metal. Mouths with teeth, along with veins with a mind of their own. I've thrown away all my cups, most of my plates, and most of my electronics. I checked my car. Those little veins were popping out of the exhaust pipe. Nothing like this has ever happened to me before. I'm getting chills just thinking about it. And a list that I randomly found one day. A list of dates, surnames, and names of towns, buildings, etc. written in 1528 had predicted it. If I knew any better, I would have skipped town for the day, but I didn't. I wanted to know who wrote that list, and where this anomaly was coming from. But I didn't know where to start. As I thought about my next steps, there was a knock at my front door. Answering it, I saw a woman who looked to be in her 30s. She looked panicked. Behind her, the fog was still as thick as it was when I first saw it. There's something going down at the library, she said, breathing heavily. What's this going to be? I decided to go see what was up. The fog was still thick, so I navigated slowly. Once I arrived at the library, bright emergency lights flashed through the fog. There were voices and silhouettes, but I couldn't make out much with everybody speaking at once plus the fog. And then somebody began to shout over all the noise. Back away. This is the epicenter of a matter-shifting anomaly. Get back. There was no use trying to see what was going on in there. I asked a man nearby what was going on and he told me that he didn't know. But then he told me that he was told somebody had a recording of something going down on the basement floor. I was tempted to know what it was. The temptation overran any fear of what it might be, as I couldn't be afraid of something that I just assumed. I asked other nearby bystanders about the supposed recording, anticipating a good answer. I had to have asked about 15 people about the footage before. A man who looked to be in his 20s claims that he had it. I asked him if I could watch it, explaining to him that it's important people know what's going on. He took out his phone and navigated to the camera app and then held the phone up to my face. The cameraman was indeed in the basement floor of the library, filming a TV that was making a chilling screeching noise topped off by a repeated buzzing. The cameraman panned to a child who was backing away with a frightened look on her face, and then they panned back to the TV. Cracking and booming came from somewhere behind the cameraman who turned around to film it. The floor had a noticeable crack in it. 
The cameraman walked closer but stopped feet away from it as it began to widen. The legs of one of the computer desks fell in, causing the computers to slide under the desk in front of it. It didn't matter anyway because the computer screens each had mouths too. It was a light gray void with no noticeable walls. It just went on for infinity. As the cameraman filmed the void, the faintest irregular shapes could be seen squirming around. They got easier to make out as these seconds went by. As they got closer, you could see the detail. Dark gray and black squirming orifices that combined and then detached with one another. It was chilling to the absolute fullest. I wanted to look away, but it was important to know what was going on, right? As the thing peered its head into the room, the camera operator turned to the stairs and sprinted to the ground floor. There wasn't a person in sight. The camera operator bolted outside into the fog. The camera app crashed and then a fierce buzzing noise came from the phone speakers. Take the card out, I said. The guy pried his phone open. Exposed veins detached from the back cover. The man looked inside and gave a look of disgust. He pulled the card out and dropped his phone onto the ground. With a look of determination, he stopped the phone until it had cracked and splintered. This town had gone under so fast, it was beyond my understanding. Being here was like being in a Lovecraft novel at this point. The only thing missing was a deranged cult that worshipped the spear. I wasn't going to stick around for such horrors, so I desperately walked along the sidewalk through the fog until reaching what I assumed was the forest based on how much I knew the area. I walked at a slow pace, trying to control my breathing. I was determined to get away from the town of horror, but I had to watch out for tree trunks on my way through the densely foggy forest. The forest was a better option than walking along the sidewalk, only to eventually be turned back by people in suits. I was hoping that my hopes of escape weren't blind, but I knew that it would make sense if agents were patrolling some area of the forest. Either way, I needed to take a chance for survival. As I continued walking through the thick forest of bushes and trees, I took note of anything that I could hear. It sounded as if every bird in the world was chirping at the same time. I heard footsteps cracking branches towards me. Were these agents? Little seconds later, I got my answer. Hey, a male voice called out. You an agent? No, I'm trying to get out of this godforsaken place. I said, almost losing my breath. Oh, okay, good, he said calmly. We just need to speak to you. The sounds of their footsteps got louder, faster, and before I could process anything, a man knocked me in the head with a heavy object. I couldn't make out what it was, but it was enough to knock me out. I awoke some time later, laying in some bushes. The fog was still thick, but there was a sore spot on my neck, and my head hurt nonetheless. I picked myself up confused, realizing that it was getting dark. I didn't want to run into those madmen again, so I went back, jumping at every noise, just determined to get home and relax. On my way home, I stopped at the police station to report the madmen. They told me that they would keep an eye out for them. Hopefully, the fog wasn't too thick for that. I mean, when was this going to end? Following along the sidewalk, gunshots rang out in the distance. Were people shooting at the mouthy creatures? 
or was that round a squirmy abomination attacking the town? I picked up my pace, not knowing what was happening, but hoping for my dear life the madmen weren't taking over some crazy stuff. Along the way, I stepped on something soft. Chills ran down my spine. Looking back, I could see a faint-mouthed shaped silhouette. I shuddered. Ew. I kept walking. A minute later, I saw another one of them. I stopped, considering stepping around the creature. Instead, I stepped up to it and stomped on it again and again until I was sure that it was dead. It was chilling to make eye contact with it, but it was good to literally stomp out my fear. Once I was back home, I checked every room for mouth creatures. To my pleasure, there were none. I looked at the bottom of my shoe and saw a purple ooze had stained it. I took my shoes off and put on my now emergency shoes. I tucked my pants into my socks and my shirt into my pants in case any of the little creatures had crawled onto me. Sometime that night, I heard what sounded like somebody sliding a sheet of paper under my door. I went up to the door and found just that. Curious about it, I picked it up to read it. You're being followed by a dangerous fringe group. Meet me at Redacted Broad Street tomorrow at noon. Those madmen wanted something. Once they found out that I wasn't an agent, they knocked me out and did something with my neck which was still sore. I was glad somebody was looking to deter the men, but dang it, what did they do with my neck? The next day, leading up to my walk to the other side of town, I used an old phone my neighbor had just lent me to Google the history of the town in hopes of finding a lead on who may have written the list of dates and names. I found out the first settlers were around in the 1700s, but the paper was written back in the 1500s, so it must have been brought here all that time ago. I wish I could just understand what was written on the first two pages. I was pessimistic about translating the old text until I actually found what language that the text was in. After some googling, I found that the language was Old English. Before I could start copy and paste translating the old text, the phone that I was using started buzzing like crazy which made me jump. I went cold. No! Determined, I walked straight into the kitchen. This little thing wasn't going to get away. I pulled the back of the phone until it popped off and then I set both pieces in the sink. Veins were growing out around the battery. I took the cart out and then I plugged the sink and turned the water on hot. Now I have two cards, great. During my mini fit, the front door knob began to shake, like somebody was trying to get inside. I walked up to the door and looked through the tiny peephole. A woman my height who very mysteriously looked like she was my twin was standing on my doorstep. I opened the door but before I could ask her if she needed something, she gave me a look of shock and confusion, as much as I was feeling in her presence. After a confusing conversation about who really lived in my house, the woman took out her ID and held it up to my face. It was an exact copy of mine. When I showed her mine, she too adopted a look of shock on her face. We exchanged a confused, awkward silence for a minute until the seemingly mirrored version of me started asking me personal questions. If you're me, what are my siblings' names? She asked. If you're me, you don't have any, I said. 
And we went back and forth until she asked me a rather specific question about a dog. She explained she had named the dog Camilla and that something had happened to it. Something that she only ever told her veterinarian. It's quite personal as I had been through the exact same thing with the dog bearing the same name. I'll just point out that I answered it correctly, 100%. I even brought up what breed the dog was and the details she missed about its death. She adopted a look of pure surprise, looking as amazed as I felt. And I felt pretty dang amazed. We stared awkwardly at each other for a minute until I broke the silence. What? How did you... How did you get here? I asked. I got lost in the fog, she said. I accidentally walked into trees and cars until I fell into this endless gray void. I saw a hole and didn't know where I was until some agents told me to turn back. I told her about the footage I saw of a freakish creature poking up from a gray void. As I described the thing, her expression dropped. I saw that horrible thing, she said shaking. I can't get it out of my head. It was just a floating ball of, I don't even know. It was interesting to get a full description of the thing, but I still couldn't wrap my mind around it. It could hover and it looked like it was alive, as chilling as it is to type that. I led my other self inside. We both sat on the couch amazed at whatever was happening between us. She pulled out a phone. I explained to her what happened to the two phones that I had. She told me that she found hers on the side of the road. She tapped an app and it had a purple sphere as a logo. It brought her to an error screen. Oh God, she said. Now Nova isn't working. Nova, I asked. I had never heard of Nova before. My first thought was that it was just some app that I had never heard of. You don't know it? She asked. It's like the most well-known search engine. That's Google though, I said. She gave me a look of confusion. Maybe she was from a different reality where Google never existed. I told her to download Google and when she did, she had the hugest look of bewilderment as she opened the app and it brought her to the search page. I've never heard of this before, she said. I mean, if that's different for you, I wonder what else is and why that gut-tearing thing opened up portals to different realities, I said, amazed that it was even possible. I always thought it was a theory with no evidence to prove or disprove. But here we are. She explained the situation with the fog and freaky mouse that happened in her reality, which I nodded my head to, signaling that it was happening here too, not that it wasn't obvious. And then she started naming historical events like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the Challenger explosion in 9-11, which I confirmed had happened here too. She told me she was relieved this reality wasn't so different from her own. At around 11.30am, I explained to her the sheet of paper that I got from a mysterious person. She told me that she got the same letter. We both decided to get ready for the half hour walk. As we got ready, I told her that I was glad she didn't come from a reality where she was a mean person. Who knows what would be going down if she was a terrible version of me. When we got to the address, I knocked on the door. Opening it was a man in black clothing. He introduced himself as Grayson and then let us in right away. 
My other self and I found a spot to sit and got comfortable. The man paced around for a couple of seconds as we waited for him to give us whatever info he wanted to give us. Okay, he sighed. I might as well tell you. I was less sure that I wanted to tell you because you're regular people, but you're both being followed by them, so here it goes. There's something rising up, so to speak. To focus on this specific case, there's a creature, an abomination is a better way to put it, rising up from under this town, and it's all thanks to a group of psychotic people. I could only think of the creature that I saw in the library footage. Is it a sphere with squirming life forms on it? Grayson's eyes widened. Yes, he said. You came in contact with it. Well, no, I said. I told him about the video from earlier. As I finished explaining what I saw, he sighed in relief. My other self told him that she saw it while falling through the void that she talked about before. You didn't touch it, did you? Grayson asked, resting his hand on his right pocket. No, said my other self. I wasn't close enough. Grayson sighed in relief and then continued explaining. There's no use trying to deeply explain that sphere of abomination. It exists the way it does for a reason that we can't know. But there are a couple of things that we do know about it at least. Wherever it goes, those mouth creatures we've been seeing are a result of its presence. There's a group that summoned the sphere through technology not seen by anybody else in this reality. This was interesting but chilling to hear at the same time. He continued to explain. We're positive they got this technology from an alternate reality, but we don't know which one, and we don't know how they gain the ability to hop realities. So not only was reality hopping a thing, but there were realities where unseen technology existed and could be used as an upper hand. What I was hearing gave me a sinking feeling, especially with how professional and convincing the tone of Grayson's voice was. Why do they want to summon that? My other self asked, visibly recoiling as she spoke of the sphere. It's being used as a rope. Grayson said, gesturing as if he was holding an actual rope. It's connecting one reality to the other, but telepathically. You are an alternate version of this reality's you. The fact that you even found that slip is a sign another connection was made. But it doesn't stop there. It hasn't started yet, but there's an effort. From a cult to pull a certain reality closer to this one. A loud knock was heard at the door. We can hear you in there, said a male voice in an unusually soft tone. We don't want a war, we just want the subjects. Grayson's eyes widened. He leaned towards me and whispered into my ear. They're not going to leave us alone and get into the safe room in the basement. The password is 3821. As Grayson leaned towards the ear of my other shelf, I got up and ran to a nearby open door with stairs leading downward. I switched the light on and I spotted the metal door along with a keypad to the right of it. As I jogged down the stairs, I looked back and saw my other self sprinting towards the stairs. There was another bang at the door that time much louder. A pit was forming in my gut, especially as it dawned on me that this anomaly is in town because some crazy people wanted to connect a certain reality to this one. But what reality? Hopefully I'll find out at some point.
What I also want to know is what Grayson's plan was if he had one. There's no way he brought us here for no reason. But now the maniacs are here. That sheet of paper, the one with the dates. Man, I wish it were more precise. Once I reached the keypad, I punched the password in. The text on the lock changed, telling us that the door was unlocked. I pulled the handle, successfully opening the door, and then stepped into the safe room. I turned around to make sure that my other self was in the room, and she was. At the height of my adrenaline, I grabbed the handle and slammed the door shut, and then I re-entered the password on the interior padlock. Looking around, I saw a security center at the back of the room, multiple bags, a fridge, and a portable toilet. The security center had three screens with the one on the left being cracked with purple liquid dripping out of the small hole. I stepped up to the buttons and hit what I could only assume was the power button. A security feed from the living room began broadcasting from the center screen, while a security feed from the kitchen began broadcasting from the screen to the right. In the living room, Grayson was standing at his front door, gesturing like he was talking to somebody. He had to have been talking, but I couldn't hear anything. The feed was muted. Looking over all of the buttons on the dashboard, I found what looked to be a volume button. It refused to work when pressing it. Other me began to speak in a shaky tone talking about our location. I turned my head to see that she was talking on the phone. She said thanks and hung up, and then she told me that she had just called the police. Good. It'll be interesting to see how this goes down. The front door was pushed right off its hinges, crashing into the carpeted floor. Four pale people, two men and two women, stepped inside, aiming chrome-plated rifles up to the man's head. Grayson stood back, but he kept his hands to his sides. He pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket and held it up in front of the gunman. Still, we couldn't hear what was going on at all. Grayson began gesturing, but then the three gunmen shot him in the chest. A pink mist spewed out of his upper back and he tumbled to the ground, holding his chest tightly. Worst of all in his defeat, he lay on his back, so we both saw the life drain from his helpless eyes. It was chilling all around. I exchanged looks with my other self who looked just as terrified as I felt inside. I don't know what's about to happen next. These maniacs want something from my other self and I, so I'm hoping that they don't kill us. As for why they need us, I haven't figured that out yet. But when I do, I hope I don't get hurt by them or their nightmarish floating ball or the dread-inducing mouth creatures are triggered by it. It's time to dive back into the sheet of paper that predicted this. The paper with the dates and names. Why was it hidden underneath my floor? Why did I have to be subject to one of the many events that it hinted at? And why was I the main victim? I'm definitely the victim of a mad group or a cult, but what exactly points to me being the main victim? Also, I still needed to translate the first two pages as well. My other self and I standing by the security station watched as the four gun-wielding cultists walked through the living room. I looked around for anything that could be of use, but unfortunately, nothing in the room would be enough to ward off the intruders. I was relieved when four police officers stepped in with their guns drawn. 
They stood in one spot for about a minute before opening fire, but all fell in the span of a second. My heart sank watching them fall and seeing their blood pile up on the carpet. The keypad glitched out then three seconds later and the handle turned. I froze. Don't worry, I said to my other self shaking. I'll just ask them what they want. The door swung open and the four gunmen stood right outside, three of them aiming right at us. I rested my hands on my hips hoping this would end in good spirits. Please step out of the room, said a woman on the far left. We want to do this peacefully, come with us. What do you want from us specifically? I asked in a shaky tone. It's best we tell you in a safe place, said the woman. Well, this is a safe room, I said. A place alternate versions of ourselves wouldn't be able to break into, said the woman. If you want to do this peacefully, why are you aiming guns right at us? I asked. And being scary is how we persuade, said the woman. If you aren't fearing for your life, you won't do what we say. And these people were downright creepy and I felt the need to keep talking so that it could ease the tension within me. Can you explain the sphere that popped up in the library? I asked, shaking. It's a rope between worlds, she said. I mean, what is it made of? Well, that's none of your business. Well, there it was. Not knowing something, filling me with dread. Uh, please just tell me, I asked. No, the gunman said in unison. Four police officers hurried down the stairs into the basement and told the four gunmen to drop their weapons. One of the men told the officers the BS about being peaceful and then the officers opened fire at them. A red mist flew out of the heads of two of the gunmen. The two who survived and one of the men and one of the women shot at the officers, sending them all to the floor. Why aren't there guns in here? Asked my other self. What? I asked. We don't need guns. Come on, said my other self. You know we do. I know you know we do. And she was right. I wanted this to end peacefully, but self-defense was integral. The two remaining gunmen turned towards us. Don't you want to get out of town? Asked the woman, away from all the creatures. They were trying to persuade me. I was consumed by dread. I didn't even know what to do. Backup had to arrive at some point and maybe they could take out the remaining gunmen who were still adamant about taking me to some place. Where do you want to take us? Asked my other self. We'll show you, said the male gunman. Uh, not enough, I said. Just tell me where you want to take us. I began to hear more sirens. They blared louder and louder as these seconds passed. The two gunmen traded looks and then they put their rifles on their backs. For a couple seconds, I was both relieved and confused. I got my answer when they each pulled out a small handgun or a taser. They pulled the triggers, sending an electric shock through my body, and I fell to the ground. The gunmen dragged us across the cold basement floor over the bodies that reeked an atrocious smell and up the stairs. As the sound of marching boots rushed in, the gunmen dropped us on the stairs and reached for the rifles and opened fire down the hallway. I was left on my stomach so I had a good view. They put gas masks on as smoke filled the doorway. I couldn't move my hands so I coughed like crazy as the smoke entered my lungs. My eyes watered up as well so I couldn't see what was happening anymore. 
Luckily, I could move my fingers again and then within seconds, my hands, feet, arms, and legs, and once I could move every part of my body, I lifted myself up. My eyes and throat were still stinging, so I crawled down the steps until it calmed. I noticed my other self was crawling down with me. I won't forget how red her face was. The gunfight was still going by the sound of it, so I rested my head on the steps and waited it out. The gunshots rang out for another minute before everything went silent. My other self and I reached into each of the pockets of the cultists. The men had phones, wallets, and folded papers. The women only had folded papers. We read each of the papers only to find out that they each read the same thing. The truth doesn't exist. Only Knott's truth. Knott's, who or what is that and why is it spelled that way? We climbed up the stairs then cautiously and I peeked around the corner. Another one of the gunmen was laying on the ground on the other end of the hallway with four holes in his upper back. Some officers were laying further away. My heart sank. As I looked at the horrible sight, I noticed a sheet of paper lying in between one of the officer's bodies and a door to what I guessed was a closet. Assuming it was the page Grayson was holding up, I told other me that I was going to fetch it. She asked me what I would do if one of the gunmen was right around the corner. My heart sank at that possibility. So I grabbed one of the officer's guns, stepped over the three bodies, and plugged my nose to keep out the atrocious smell. Once I made it to the other side of the hallway, I bent down, jolted my head as I swore that I thought I saw something moving in the corner of my eye, picked the sheet up and then tiptoed back to the basement door, where I read what was on the paper. It was a bunch of random symbols. There was no way that I was going to understand any of it. My other self told me that she too was confused about it. I slid the note into my pocket. I thought that we were in the clear until my other self opened the front door. There was a blurred covering on the other side to block in the exit. I reached out to touch it. It was hard plastic fused with the door frame and the floor. We tried pushing it, punching it, cutting it, but nothing worked. We checked the other doors and the windows for a safe exit, but the same hard plastic covered those exits too. My heart sank. We were trapped inside. My other self called the police and then she told me the police said that they were currently outside, trying but failing to get in. Great, why? I didn't ask for this. And that smell was getting bad. And once we found something to cover our noses with, I told my other self about the pages I found underneath my floorboards. She had a look of disappointment on her face as she responded by telling me, she wishes that she could read them. I assured her, telling her that I took pictures of them. All I needed to do was translate the first page for now and then the second one after we were done processing the first. I looked up an image text-to-text -text converter, and once I found one, I used it to convert the old English writing on the first page to regular text, and then I put it through an online translator. This is what it read. If you're reading this, it's because I'm stuck in the past. I'm from an alternate reality in which I worked with an organization who tracked anomalies across North America. They were called Aridelli, a powerful organization established in 2025 that was widely regarded with respect across the world. In the 10 years preceding the organization's creation, 
The rate of anomaly type events across North America went down by 70%. Similar organizations were set up in other parts of the world, operating on different continents. Ten years after their creation, anomalies type events went down by 80% worldwide. Creepy creatures were becoming a thing of the past. Governments guarded slips to different realities like they were atomic bombs. They were far worse than that though, I promise you. In 2050, the US, China, UK, and South Africa all released reports about the most dangerous alternate realities. The Heater Report. You won't believe the stuff described in those documents. A reality where a laser that turned entire planets into decimation had hit Earth. A reality in which the second you enter you get torn to shreds by the wind. Realities featuring invasions of all different kinds. And militaries did their best to keep the monstrosities from those places away from our reality. All was good until a psychopath showed up and destroyed everything that we had. Her name was Erilyn Campbell. In 2056, she arrived and assassinated every head, every guard, and fried every server. Apparently that wasn't enough, because she then stole our technology. In the span of 10 days after her reign of crime, killer creatures had poured out of every slip in the world to the extent that anomalies went up by 50%. We chased after her, and we actually managed to find her in a reality where a giant jellyfish-like creature was floating above the Arctic Circle. From what I heard, that is. My team got eaten by a chilling creature I cannot begin to explain, but I kept going, running from all the other scary stuff that inhabited that reality, including people in gray robes who kept talking about this godlike thing called notes. A possible spelling error there as I'm going off of pronunciation. I called it weird so they sent three-eyed humanoids after me. I hadn't run so fast in my life. We made it to a town called Bradford in Ontario, Canada. I found Erilyn sitting on her porch. When she saw me, she looked back at her phone with a bored expression on her face. I took out my badge and held it up for her to notice. She looked up from her phone, eyed the badge, and then got up from her chair and walked over to me. I told her exactly where I was from and told her that I wasn't going to take any excuses for her behavior. She reminded me of Black Widow a little bit. She had mostly a deadpan vocal tone and based on security footage from back at HQ was quite stealthy, but she was a terrible person. She tased me, took my wallet, and tore up all of its contents right in front of me. She told me that I wasn't going to be needing any of it where I was going. Mari sent me to a reality where everything was seemingly fine, but then she sent me back in time in that reality's past. When I found out what era I was in, all I could mutter was, screw you. Dirt roads, horses, stone buildings out of the mid-second millennium. I was nervous, but my worst fear was realized when I saw the date. April 2nd, 1520. She sent me to a time period over 500 years into the past. I didn't blend in at all for the first few years. I couldn't understand Old English. My shirt had a 21st century logo. My general style looked nothing like the style that everybody else was wearing. Luckily, I managed to impress people through artistic work, so I didn't stay homeless for long. No, I'm not actually Leonardo da Vinci, and unfortunately, I never ended up becoming famous for my work. But hey, at least I enjoyed it. 
Of course, aside from those times where I painted just to settle my dread, and lots of dread over many different things. One thing I haven't mentioned was failing and not making enough money to live, and then getting stalked by some serial killer because of the vulnerability that I would have. I was glad that I got to make enough money to get a house at all, otherwise I would have to steal and getting caught would mean being put in jail. I was not curious about the condition of 1500s era jails. I hid my phone from everybody in fear that I would be seen as some otherworldly creature, but once my battery died, that was it for me for using the notes app. I still keep it with me though, after all it is my phone. Some of the words and names I'm writing don't exist in this time period. I wrote about the US above. What the heck is that in 1528? It doesn't even exist yet. I'm praying that somebody comes to rescue me. I'm in my 40s. If I don't catch the bubonic plague, I should live to see at least the 1580s. Hooray. That is, unless I'm missing some facts. I never looked into biology and medicine all that much. I'm still scared out of my mind of catching a disease. I probably used too much soap by now. Living in the 1500s is terrifying for a time traveler with no way of getting home whatsoever. If you're reading this and you have the tech necessary, travel back in time to June 17, 1528, two days after I'm writing this and meet me at this address in London, England. We can fight Erlen and her cronies in her home reality. And here's some proof. Here are the dates of every major anomalous event that took place from 1528 through 2028, with an important entry from 2029, written beside each of the names of relevant people and places. June 15th, 1528. And this was chilling to read. Imagine being sent back to the 1500s with absolutely nothing to do about it. No home or job either. Everybody you know is far from being born. Is Erlen the head of the wild cult hunting me down? Is she the reason that I'm trapped in this house? Chills ran down my spine as I thought. What if she comes here? And the reality with the creature over the Arctic Circle. Is that one of the realities being brought closer to ours? Notes. Is that not? I don't know. Maybe it's a coincidence. That's just hope though. I also hope I don't starve to death in this house after all the food runs out. No, they want me for some reason. They very likely have had backup. If it turns out they do, hopefully they'll lose and fail to make it to where I am. I'm currently hiding somewhere with my other self in case that happens. I'm not going to follow their cult. They brought a dark, squirmy spear here and I got a sinking feeling thinking about just now and they might be worshipping a giant jellyfish-like creature that they want to bring closer to here. I just can't anymore. I'm cold and I hope the cultists don't find us. It's weird how that was the first page but it read like it should have been the second, at least the bit at the end. Unfortunately, I don't have time to translate the second page to see what's up, as there is a banging coming from downstairs now. I'm not sure why any of it happened, it just did out of nowhere. Hopefully this is the last update. I was hiding, stopping myself from breathing loudly as the sound of footsteps got louder and louder. My other self was covering her face as she lied to my left. 
I had a view of the bottom of the bedroom door through the crack between the blanket hanging off the bed and the soft carpet floor. The door was knocked right off its hinges, filling my guts with more dread. You two can come out now, said a feminine voice. I'm not one of those cultists, I promise. I looked with my other self. I didn't want to move. I wasn't just going to trust some random person. How did they get into the house when we couldn't? If the answer was advanced weaponry, that still ticked me off considering that I hadn't heard of a rescue team on par with the cultists. And if it was a rescue team, they should give at least one sign. The blanket was lifted up, which was something that I should have expected. A woman with black hair who looked to be in her late 20s looked where we were, her eyes widening as she noticed us. My eyes widened as well, my heart dropping as she looked at me. I said you two can come out now. I got rid of all the cultists. Well, all but one of them. She took out a badge, covering her name with her fingers, but she had a government badge. I crawled up from under the bed and stood up. My other self followed suit. How'd you get in here? I asked. A knocking, portals, she said. Portals, I asked. Do you know anything about a sphere of monstrosity that has risen inside the library? Oh yeah, it's still here, she said. That's my next target. Oh, hold on a second, I'll be back shortly. The agent took out a white handheld device and pressed one of the buttons on it. A white light popped up and expanded until the person could fit inside. The agent stepped into it and then disappeared. Whoa, I said, looking at my other self, who had a look of amazement on her face. Yeah, that's interesting, she said. A moan echoed from downstairs, sending chills down my spine. Was that a cultist? My other self was pale already. Um, maybe it was an officer, she said. Yeah, that's what I would do, I said, almost smiling. Why not assume the best if you can't tell if something is signaling anything bad or good? A silence fell between us as I heard the sound of a gun being cocked. We both got under the bed and my other self covered herself in clothing. I did the same. The footsteps got louder and louder. It's possible that this person heard us talking in here. If so, he probably heard exactly where our voices were coming from. I remained as quiet as possible just in case this person was a cultist. I saw some shoes along the floor. They stopped and a loud gunshot made my other self and I scream. The bedsheet was lifted and a pale-faced man looked under the bed. He had a jellyfish a tattoo on his face. He let the bedsheet go and then watched on, adrenaline rising, as he walked over to my side of the bed. He lifted the bedsheet and I saw a silhouette. It was somehow freakier than his actual face. Get out, he said. We're going now. I was frozen. I bet my other self was as well. She is me after all, and through all of this, I only barely got to be light about it. The man pulled away each of the clothes that were covering me, grabbed my arm, and tugged me out from under the bed. No! I screamed. The man pushed me back onto the bed. He took out an older-looking phone and showed me videos that will probably stick with me for the rest of my life. 
The first video began with the camera operator filming the Statue of Liberty up close. They zoomed out, revealing a red UFO or something hovering above the bay, taking up most of the sky. It had a dozen pulsating bumps hanging off of it. The camera operator zoomed out further, revealing this living UFO had a black trim and was shaped like a triangle. It looked far from CGI or AI-generated video. The video it looked impossible to fake. The living UFO began to move eastward, sending chills down my spine. The second video showed a group of eight people in gray robes sitting around a table talking and laughing. It looked like they were in the CN Tower observation deck. I could see what looked to be the shoreline, but with different buildings lining the shoreline. At one point, one of the robed men stood up. The others went silent and then the robed man spoke. Tonight, we celebrate the fifth year of Note's presence, he said. Anybody who opposes us will be subject to the following. I love this list. Electric poking, beating, force teaching. It was a surreal video. The cultishness of the group gave me goosebumps. As he kept listing the punishments, I realized more so that I shouldn't type them. Another thing was the mention of notes. I had heard it before. I recall reading about a creature named Notes before entering the bedroom in the first place, along with a woman named Erlen Campbell from an alternate reality. Were these videos from her reality? Was this man a member of that cult? The third video showed a rear-end view of a truck speeding up a road at night. I focused on the rear headlights as they illuminated the road. As I did so, a dark creature, it almost looked like a tree, but it was also very animalistic in appearance, and it was sprinting, followed behind the truck. I looked away, but the man told me to keep watching. Man, that thing was chilling to see. The video ended, and then the man slid his phone back into his pocket while asking me a very troubling question. Are you ready for all of that? What even is that stuff? I didn't want to be dragged into whatever place I just saw. Is that really where the cultists want to take my other self and I? The dread continued to pile up inside me. I felt that there was no way out of this. I began to tear up as the weight of this situation continued to get heavier. The man gave me a devious smirk. Why did you need me specifically? We were able to stick a tracking chip in your neck, he said. I bet the soreness wore off by now. Well, that answered the next question. What about my other self? I guess the cultist didn't notice her when pulling me out. Or maybe he was handling us one at a time. My question was answered as he told me to scoot to the corner of the bed and as I did so, he reached underneath it and pulled my other self out. She screamed and he made her sit down on the bed. The cultist showed her the same videos and asked her the same question. Before she answered, a light formed in the corner of my eye. I turned my head and saw what looked to be the portal from earlier. It was back. The agent stepped back out, making eye contact with me. And then looking over my shoulder, adopting a look of surprise. She jumped back into the portal and then stepped back out with a handgun and aimed it over my shoulder. Set these people free, said the agent. 
If you do, you can go back to your reality, but be monitored rather than sent to prison. Oh, I don't need to worry about that, said the cultist. No matter what you do to me, notes will be watching. I guess whatever helps your psyche, said the agent. Tell me what you're trying to do in this town. As if this is the only town we've been popping up in, said the cultist, giggling. Oh, really creepy man, said the agent. I'm not telling you anymore, said the cultist. The agent pulled the trigger, and the cultist tumbled to the floor. With a look more a straight face than what would seem normal, the agent dragged Mr. Cultist into the portal. The cultist was frozen, mumbling his way. A minute later, the agent stepped back out of the portal, and to my delight, she told us that she was going to get us out of here. She walked us down the stairs, and once we got to the living room, she blew a hole into the wall between the front door and the window. She stepped through the hole, and we followed. Lights flashed through the fog, but nobody was making any noise. The agent stood close to us, and we pulled out her phone. Teeth were sticking out of the screen. What in the... what is happening here? The agent asked herself. The phone buzzed falling out of the agent's hands and landing with a thud on the concrete. Once a clearing opened up in the fog, I could see red veins squirming out of the charging port. My stomach clenched at the sight. The agent stomped on the phone over and over and over, cracking the screen and splintering the case until a purple fluid was oozing out of the charging port and the sides. The fog got thicker again, covering the damaged phone. The next thing she did was walk us to the library, telling us to keep quiet on the way. I dreaded going in there to witness the spear, so once we arrived, I told the agent that I didn't want to go in. She told me that all I needed to do was stand under any of the windows and call the police if I heard any screams from inside. She gave the same mission to my other self who asked her what I was wondering. Why would she go in alone? It's just what I'm used to, she said. I love it. So she walked away, disappearing into the fog. I made my way over to the building, taking slow steps to ensure that I wouldn't bump into anything. I was hoping there would be more clearance, but there was only one behind me. Once I reached the building, I tripped over the fence, but picked myself back up and stood under the window. After about a minute, I started hearing gunshots. As I listened in, somebody called out to me. Hey, come with us right now. I could see their silhouette, but they were still. I asked them who they were, but they didn't answer. Chills ran down my spine. Listening through the window, I could hear a croak along with more gunshots. I also began to hear footsteps walking along the grass. They got louder and louder, that dang tracking chip. I needed to get this thing out of my neck. I was grabbed by the head and put into a headlock. The adrenaline was rising up again, and I couldn't think of anything to say other than, No! Where were the government agents when you needed them? Is something going on over there? Asked a male voice. Everything's fine, said the man holding me hostage. A typical cheesy even. The man covered my mouth and brought me to the ground. As he tackled me, I noticed the fog was getting lighter. I could see the silhouettes of nearby cars and buildings and then the outlines, and then their actual appearance. Two men in suits ran up to me. They argued with the cultist and then eventually pulled him off of me. I felt relieved. I glanced back at the library. 
a wild, chilling croak made the ground vibrate. I could hear some crashing and smashing coming from inside of the building. I began to be able to hear the noises with greater clarity, as if all the windows on the building had been smashed. The agent better be winning, I hoped. I couldn't see anything, but the sounds that I was hearing were putting me in a frozen trance. They were so erratic and sinister, I couldn't explain exactly what I was hearing aside from the croaking and some animalistic screeching mixed together. They were rough. Not knowing who was winning kept me on edge further. There was a loud but soft explosion and then the screeching and croaking had stopped. Seconds later, I began to see the outline of the library. Black liquid was leaking out of each of the windows. The front door was opened and then the sound of quick footsteps ran across the grass, getting louder and louder. I could see the outline of the agent. She was running by a couple of men in suits. You need to tell us exactly who you are and who you're affiliated with, said one of the men. Well, my name is Erlen Campbell, said the agent. And as for my affiliates, how about I write a report for you guys? The agents told her that that was fine, where to contact the FBI to give the report and who they were. They left with the cultist, who was aggressively attempting to break free from their tight grip. All I could think about was the Erlen Campbell that I had read about. The one who tanked an entire world's creature fighting economy. Erlen walked up to me. I gave her a look of confusion as she reached me and stopped. You good? She asked. There is an agent with an exact same name as you who destroyed an entire world and sent somebody back to the 1500s, I said. At least according to a document. What document? Erlen said. There are plenty of documents usually from entitled people that talk crap about me. Well, the document that I translated after I found it under my floorboards. Those guys who were using monster fighting organizations as a disguise for, get this, multiversal domination, Erlen said, rolling her eyes. I was confused. They were the evil ones all along. So they were the bad guys? I asked Erlen. Well, terrible guys, yes. So many accusations of rights violations and manipulation. They took care of 1% of all the creatures slipping into their reality and made up grand numbers to make them look like bosses. I was relieved to hear that Erlen wasn't evil, but not so much that I fell for a 500-year-old lie. I brought up the third page, the one with the predictions on it. Wow, Erlen said. He wanted to convince people that he was right so badly he sat down and vaguely predicted every anomalous event. Yeah, I said giggling. Oh, he's probably long dead by now, Erlen said. Hey, did he predict this? The thing that happened to this town? Well, yeah, I said. Correct date and my actual surname. What was the next date? May 15th, 2023, I said. But instead of a surname, it just said Switzerland. Huh, Erlen said. A trick I use is I go to an alternate reality where it's essentially the same as the one that I was in, but at a point further in the future. I'll do that to make sure that nothing drastic happens. Suddenly, she had a look of urgency on her face. Okay, though, I don't have much time to chat right now. Your town is freed and the connections between realities have been closed. Have a good day. Erland opened up another portal and walked in. 
The portal vanished, leaving me with the sight of a dozen agents, dented SUVs, broken shop windows across the street, and a phone with teeth and gray weathering veins hanging out of every hole. The end of this was so sudden but welcoming. It looked like it all was really over. I'm glad this is over, although I still need to bring up the tracking chip to somebody who can help me out in that regard. And my other self is still here too, although now I can actually have fun with her being a mirrored version of me. I feel weird about new phones now, so I might stick to the older models for a while. Hopefully the FBI will release information about this event to the public. I just got a letter from them reminding me not to share pictures or videos of the black ooze, purple ooze, freaky mouse, or the spear of monstrosity. It ended with the usual note. The FBI will release information regarding this anomaly to the public once it is determined it is appropriate to do so. Only time will tell. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. Wherever you may be in the world, I hope that you're staying safe and sound. And as always, stay creepy. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.